This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's going on, good people? Welcome to episode number 93 of the Moran Analytics Podcast. Today is Tuesday, February 12th, 2019. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I'll be joined by one of my absolute favorite personalities in all the national sports media. Charlotte Wilder of Sports Illustrated will be my guest, and I'm all kinds of stoked about that. We talk about a ton of stuff. Her growing up near Boston, her education, her battles with anxiety attacks, something that she's very upfront and honest about. We talk about her entire career, including how the opportunity at SI came about for her. We talk about some of the stories she's written, her MV podcast she co-hosts, which is absolutely fantastic. The Wilder Things video series that she has on SITV, her friendship with PFT and Big Cat from Part of My Take much more. And of course, I do the mini lightning round with her. We find out about a lot of her favorite things. It's a fun interview with someone who's, and no lie here, right there at the very top tier of my favorite guests that I've ever had on the show. And I've done 93 episodes now. Charlotte's talented. She's funny. And unlike so many of the national sports media folk out there today, she's personable and very likable. I'm telling you, that shit matters. It does. I promise you that. In today's world, people want to consume content from someone that they feel like they could go out and have a beer with afterwards. Charlotte Wilder is that person. So that'll be coming up. I also have a segment with recurring guest Aaron Quinn from CoverOne.net. We'll talk about Kareem Hunt being back in the NFL Kyle Murray pursuing being a quarterback over MLB, a couple of recent mock drafts, how it relates to the Buffalo Bills, some NBA, some golf, plenty more. Sandwiching between those, I have some Grammy thoughts after spending nearly four hours of my life watching that show Sunday night. I became a fan of two performers that I knew nothing about. One of them I literally never even heard of before watching the show. I also want Alicia Keys to be a part of every award show for the rest of eternity. And I have what's probably going to be an unpopular opinion surrounding Cardi B. That's later. Right now, let's just get right down to business. 
Here's my extended chat with one of my absolute favorites in the sports media today, Charlotte Wilder. Okay, my guest today is a senior writer at Sports Illustrated. She's also the co-host of the Most Valuable Podcast and host of the Wilder Project on SITV. Simply put, she's one of the most talented journalists in sports media, certainly one of the most entertaining follows on Twitter. I'm talking about the lovely Charlotte Wilder. What's going on, Charlotte? How you doing? Wow, Patrick, that's like the nicest intro ever. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of things that I want to talk to you about regarding your career and other things, because to me, it's just been a pretty fascinating career. But before that, I kind of want to throw a curve and talk about these fire festival documentaries, because I was semi-interested in seeing them already, but I hadn't. And then I saw a tweet of yours a couple weeks ago about them. So I said, you know what? I got to check these out before I get on the horn with you and we do this interview. One was on Hulu, yeah. one was on Netflix. Let me ask you, how much in detail did you know about the Fire Festival before watching these documentaries? Did you know anything about it? Yeah, so I kind of saw it going on on social media in real time as it was happening. But I sometimes feel like I live under a rock and I don't fully understand what everybody else is talking about until I like really sit down and take the time to delve yeah. into it. So. I knew that, you know, there was this festival that was billed as this exclusive music festival put on by Ja Rule and this, you know, random 20-something kid. And I saw all the nightmare where they were promised, you know, like these cabanas and they got emergency FEMA tents and they were promised luxury food and they got slices of cheese. Um, so I kind of, I knew roughly what it was, but I had no idea sort of the depth of the scheme, that the, the scam that it all came from. Um, so when I finally watched it, I was just like, I can't get enough of this. Like, I want every detail. I want to know how this all went down. Um, so I watched the Netflix one first, and then I watched the Hulu one. Um, and I have honestly, I have issues with both of them as documentaries, but um, I was totally fascinated by the story. When you say you were you living under a rock, I must have been living under a bigger rock because I honestly didn't know anything about it. Until I watched it, I might have heard like one or two tiny things, but I never, you know, I never followed the story before. So I really didn't know a thing about it of the two. And like you said, you might have nitpicks with each of them. Of the two, though, which do you think told a better job of telling the story, the one on Hulu or the one on Netflix? Because they were different. You know, I don't think I don't think one was better than the other. I think both of them were flawed in ways that, you know, the media company, um, Jerry Media, that handled all of the um, promotion and social media um and is run by the account can i swear on this oh yeah shit it's run by the account fuck jerry which is like steals comedians jokes forever and a bunch of my friends who are in the comedy world have been like this is garbage for years and now people are kind of starting to unfollow but so they partnered netflix partnered with them and i didn't think they held them super accountable and i think they were more accountable than uh, they like to think they were and then hulu partnered hulu uh i believe paid um, Billy McFarland, uh, to be in the documentary. And so that, you know, neither of them, they're not Netflix and Hulu. It's not like, you know, the New York times or a journalistic outfit did them, but I personally had some issues with how it was done. I think that both of them told different sides of the story. I think Hulu was more slickly produced. I think they sort of gave more weight to the context of where we are as a society that got us 
that made this possible. I think that Netflix showed way more of the actual horror of the event and the effect it had on the Bahamians, which to me was the most egregious part of the whole thing. Yeah, I think that I read that Hulu paid Billy McFarlane like around a quarter of a million dollars or something. It was it was a nice chunk of change to do it. One more thing yeah, about that. Yeah, it was in the Go hundreds ahead. of thousands, I think. Yeah. One more thing about that, and then I want to move on. Once this became mainstream and everyone, like people like me, like I said, who didn't know much about it until after the documentaries came out, Ja Rule tweeted, and I'm quoting here, I too was hustled, scammed, bamboozled, mm-hmm. hoodwinked, led astray. Do you believe him? How much of that do you no. think is truth or none of it? No. No, I don't think he, I think he was completely responsible. I think he should definitely be held accountable. I think he knew, I mean, if you don't know what you're going, what was going on, then you're just an idiot. Um, you know, and I think it's kind of surprising that he's managed to get out of this and now he's starting another app that is what fire, the fire app, not the festival, but the actual technology they were building is supposed to be. And I'm like, okay, how are we still, how are we still letting this dude do this? (laughs) Well, yeah, I agree. It is worth checking out. So if people listening haven't checked it out, I would definitely check it out. Let's get to your story though, because that's why I've gotten the show. Not to talk about the Fire Festival. You grew up near Boston, I believe it was like mm-hmm. Lincoln, Massachusetts. Correct me if I'm wrong here. And your yes, mom, sir, that's correct. Your mom's a writer. Your dad was an entrepreneur. Since you're mm-hmm. a writer, I obviously want to start by asking you, what was it like growing up, the daughter of a writer? Oh, it was you know that's why I'm doing this. I saw. I saw what was possible. I think that for me growing up with, um, you know, my mom had, she wrote cover stories for the New York times magazine before she was 30. She had, she's written three books. She's written for Esquire, the Atlantic. Um, you know, like she has had such a powerhouse of a career. And by the time I came along, she was mostly writing books. So I didn't necessarily, you know, she would take me on reporting trips when she did freelance stuff for the New York times. And, I just grew up watching this woman um, do she's so talented, but also just seeing that it was possible for a woman to do this and to, to play in these spaces. And um, I never questioned whether it was um, something possible. And when I, I think it was in fourth grade that I realized a teacher was like, Hey, you're a good writer. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Like I'd been doing it my whole life. I like started a newspaper for my first grade class and like <laughs> wrote a feature, like wrote a feature on Beanie Babies. Um, but like, you know, that to me was sort of from then on, it's like, oh, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be what I do in some capacity. And I never, I really never kind of wavered from that, I guess, which mm. is kind of crazy to think about looking back on. Um, but yeah, she's been a huge influence. She would edit my papers. She would, you know, when I started my own blog and would just like write daily, she would critique it. And it was, it's been absolutely invaluable. I was doing my homework for this chat. I read a piece that you wrote for boss.com and back in 2015, talking about how you had anxiety dating all the way back to sixth grade. Now, obviously that's a serious issue. How did, or I should say, how do you get through those tough times? That was a great piece, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny you caught me on a week. I've been extremely anxious this week. And uh, I think that it's just for me, um, you know, I was diagnosed with this generalized anxiety disorder when I was uh, 10 um, and, you know, have dealt with panic attacks my whole life. I've dealt with this sort of low level anxiety my whole life. And I think that um, I am a huge believer in in getting help for mental health issues. I've been, you know, I've seen like, I joke that I've seen like every shrink from DC to Maine. Um, 
And like, I think at certain times medication has helped. I think at other times I've known, um, you know, as I've gotten older, I've learned sort of ways of dealing with it um, and sort of thought exercises I can do. And I work out a lot because moving around helps. Um, you know, it's just sort of like it's a daily management thing. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm happy to talk about it because I think it's not something we as a society, you know, we're getting better, but there's still a lot of stigma around it. And it's very easy to feel alone when you're in these moments. Um, so I guess it's just sort of like a constant work in progress and kind of trying to learn yourself and figure out what things help you. And, and when you're spiraling in your own brain about things that might not be real, uh, I I guess is sort of the the best way I can put it. I'm definitely going to put a link to that in the show notes for this interview because again, I thought it was a really fascinating. Oh, thank you. Now you went to Colby College, okay? I ask all my sports media guesses. It just interests me for some reason. Why did you decide to go there? And were there other schools that you were thinking about going to, or was it that place the entire time? I went to Colby because it was like the best school I got into. I got into I I was. I think I applied to 15 or 16 schools and got into like two and a half. Um, I had a high school is interesting for me. Um, I went to a private school in Boston uh, that was not super supportive of creative endeavors. And I was in trouble constantly. I think I had 10 detentions my senior year. Like they tried to suspend me for two weeks, senior fall. And I was like, okay, well, I'm definitely not going to get into college. And some of it was dumb stuff. Some of it was, I mean, you know, there's, there's a memoir in there somewhere probably. Um, but yeah, so the school didn't really, um, advocate for me. And I was coming from a place where, you know, there was a ton of privilege at my school. Um, so like girls, dads donated libraries to colleges. So it was either like you had to be a 4.0 and, you know, interning at the top labs in medicine to get into one of the top schools, or you had to be, um, you know, really, really well connected. And I was like, I think I had a B plus average and I was sort of, you know, messing around all the time. And so Colby, I got waitlisted actually at Colby. Um, and a, I sent a professor, a poetry professor there, some of my poems and he went and advocated for me and they let me in. When it comes to sports, were you a big sports fan as a kid or was that something that you know, sports became more important to you as you got older, like a teenager, maybe even older than that. When did you really first start loving sports? So I grew up like I told kids in my third grade class that I was going to be the first woman to play in uh, Major League Baseball. Um, <laughs> I was obsessed with skiing. I played uh, softball, squash, soccer, cross for a little while. Like I was constantly doing stuff um, and on sports teams. I think that I really cared about Boston sports and you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a huge part of my family growing up. We never, like we would watch the Pats games sometimes, but like my parents are not huge sports people. Um, it, it wasn't like a part of the fabric of our lives. And so it was really, um, only when I started working at USA Today and their, for the win at their sports blog that I like became fully immersed in this world, which is, surprising to some people but you know I think it actually has made me be able to look at the world that we're in and the way things are done in slightly different ways from how people might look at it who've grown up sort of understanding the ins and outs a little more thoroughly than I did and you know I've definitely I I know it as well as anyone now 
but it was it was sort of an interesting way to to get into this line of work. Now, before getting into Sports Illustrated, you wrote for a lot of places, including your own blog, too. I mean, you've written for SB Nation, USA Today, Huffington Post, Boston Globe. What were those experiences like? And are you glad that you got to experience writing for a lot of different companies in a lot of different ways, as opposed to maybe just immediately graduating from college and then, bam, you're at Sports Illustrated and that's where you've been for your entire career. How much did it mean to have these different experiences for you? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's meant everything. I mean, I've been on staff. So I was on staff at Cook's Illustrated Magazine. I started in food, which is funny. Uh, then I was at Boston.com. Then I was at USA Today. Then I was at SB Nation. Then I was at, now I'm at Sports Illustrated. So I've had a staff job at five very, very different publications. And it's been invaluable because I've worked at newspapers. I've worked at digital arms of newspapers. I've worked at digital only. I've worked in magazine. I've worked at, you know, all these different, I've worked at print and TV. And so it's all come together in ways that I think is, allows me to do my job now, you know, to the best of my ability, because I also think it kind of makes you appreciate when things are good, because if you if you get to a place and that's all you've ever known, like your gripes are going to be your gripes. But like because I've had so many different experiences at so many different publications and seen levels of management and mismanagement that span the spectrum, like when things are good, I know it. And uh, this industry is tough and you kind of have to know like where the bar is and what you're working with. And like, you know, SI has been amazing and I've been able to really appreciate that because I've worked at places and had experiences that have not been as amazing. How did that opportunity for Sports Illustrated come about for you? Chris Stone, uh, our managing editor um, who runs the whole, you know, is a top dog here. And uh, Josh Ashtinsky, who runs our video uh, programming uh VP of video programming, they reached out. And um, when I was at SB Nation and were like, hey, you know, we want you to come work here and um, we don't want you to change your voice. And I was like, done, you know, like anyone saying that to me. And then they've proved that that is true. You know, I've, I've felt incredibly supported and they've allowed me to take these big, weird swings. And um, it's been it's been pretty a pretty cool experience. Yeah, you got a lot of, there's a great staff at SI. I always have been. I got to bring up one in particular, Jenny Vrentes. She's a colleague of yours. Jenny. I've had her on yeah. this show before. And to date, she's right up there at the top of the favorite guests that I've ever had on this show. I, lo- I Like I said, I love her. She, she's someone you enjoy working with, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. I love working on her. I had her on the Wilder Project. She's so smart. She works so hard. She is just so good at her job and such a kind person. Um it's been it's been really great to to get to be on the same team. Now you've written a ton of great stories. I'm not going to get into all of them, obviously, but one in particular I really enjoyed was on former head coach Jeff Fisher, who, mm-hmm. you know, of course, is the the the, the butt of endless seven and nine jokes. Tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about that story. That was a good story. Well, I, I mean, that came about because I just wondered what he was up to, and I was like, if I wonder what he's up to, I bet a bunch of other people want to know what's going on, and got his phone number and called him up and he, uh, he was great. And I think what was fun about that story for me is reporting it out. You know, obviously people tell you their side of things when you're with them and then you're like, okay, well, I got to fact check all this. And, you know, people, people genuinely really liked Jeff, um, that he had known and worked with and coached, um, from front office to players, everyone was really positive about him. And it's always cool when you come away from something and you're like, okay, I think I, 
you know, it doesn't matter if I like this guy or not for the story, but, you know, personally, I, I liked him a lot. And when that gets corroborated, it's always, it's always really cool to be like, okay, nice. You know, here's a story about a guy that, uh, that kind of checks out and um, he was just hilarious too. So, so spending time in Nashville with him was really fun. Now you also wrote a story recently about the Patriots redefining what it means to be a dynasty and God, Jesus Christ, they are. We're getting to the territory where they may be the biggest dynasty of any sport, certainly in the past 40 or 50 years. Aren't we, are we not seeing probably the greatest dynasty of sports maybe in the last half century right now? I certainly think so. I mean, I'm, biased as anything but yeah i mean they really it's wild that i'm sitting here being like yeah they could win a seventh ring next year you know i don't see this slowing down um sure and it's very cool to me that my team gets to be the one to do that like how that that's very rare um you know and i wrote in that essay like sports fandom is about getting your heart ripped out but as a pats fan it's sort of the opposite it's about things working out and that's that's pretty cool how hard is it sometimes to be a fan of a team and also be a journalist? Because I'm, listen, you're from Boston. I'd be saying, well, obviously you want them to do well, but at the same time, you're objective in your storytelling as well. You know what I mean? Sometimes is that a tricky line to be able to balance, not just for you, but for any journalist out there? I can only speak to my own experience. No, for me, it's not. Like if I'm writing a story about, if I'm reporting something on a Patriots player or a Red Sox player, like I'm not going to go easy on them or be any different or in my approach just because I'm a fan of the team. Like I can completely separate that. I think for me, it's kind of funny, you know, as somewhat of a personality and a journalist, like there's this weird line where I'm like, I mean, because I'm so open about who I am and how I am, I'm like, you guys know I'm a Pats fan. So it would be hypocritical for me to pretend not to be at this point, you know, like, um, so to me, it's just all about being authentic and honest. And, you know, if I were to write a profile of someone on the Pats and like go easy on them, if there were something to, to push in on, then that would be a problem. But, you know, I have no intention of ever doing that. And anything I've ever written about either of these teams or people on them, you know, I haven't been afraid to be, to be critical. Um, and that doesn't, doesn't affect my fandom or how I feel personally. I'm with Charlotte Wilder from Sports Illustrated. I'll tell you, one of the things about you that makes me such a big fan is I think that you encompass today's journalists more than anything, because, you know, back in the day, someone could be a sports writer and they could be a fantastic sports writer, but that was kind of the extent of what they did in today's world. That's not enough. You could be a fantastic, Mm -hmm. talented writer, but you also have to be able to do a lot of other things. And that's exactly what you do. The podcast, the, uh, the video series, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. It's different today being a journalist and maybe say 20, 30 years ago, isn't it? Oh, for sure. I mean, I always, I feel really lucky. I feel like I was born at the perfect time. You know, this industry is tough and the layoffs are awful. And I hope that we figure it out at some point. I think for me, what's working right now um, is that I actually enjoy doing all of it. Like it's an insane amount of work and it requires sort of different parts of my brain at all times, but I love doing the on-camera stuff. I love producing. I love the podcast. I love coming up with ideas. I love the writing, obviously. So I think there's some people, some writers who see it kind of as a necessary evil to branch out onto these different platforms. But I genuinely, you know, it's what I've always wanted to do. So I think it's really cool that writers are now being afforded these opportunities. And and some of my favorite personalities or TV people have come from a writing background. And it's just, it's really heartening to me to see that. 
Now, let's talk about that podcast for a minute. Most Valuable Podcast you co-host mm-hmm. that with Jessica. I, I love the first line in your show description notes. It says, why wait for an award when you can just give yourself one? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. You're like 17 you. episodes in right now. Doing that, I think some people out there, and because your podcast is a professionally produced one, you know what I mean? It's not like you mm-hmm. just take an iPhone, hit something, hit record, and it's posted 10 minutes later. There's a lot of work that goes into it. And I think some people who listen to podcasts don't understand, but you said kind of alluded to it. Do you like doing it a lot? And what's your take on podcasts in general nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I love doing it. It's so fun. And to do it with Jess, who um, produces my show on SITV, The Wilder Project, um, is really cool because, you know, we go all these places together and we have all these experiences and then we get to kind of debrief on it. And um, once the show comes back, I think it'll be really cool to get to talk more in depth about the things we've done on the podcast. It's kind of a behind the scenes look. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a ton of work. You know, we have a million Google Docs going. We're we're constantly streamlining, troubleshooting what worked, what didn't work. Where do we need to punch up? Where do we need to organize? I think that it's it's a total blast, though. You know, getting able to be being able to build something like this, and um, you know, I think that podcasts are a huge a huge way to connect with people right now. I think that people listen to your show and they feel like they know you and you build up an audience and, and it becomes like its own little world. And and that to me, I'm constantly humbled that people listen and, and care and want more of it. Like that to me is just, I couldn't do any of this if people weren't into it, if they didn't want it, um, if they didn't connect to my voice and to our voices um, in, in some real way. And that is just like the coolest thing ever to me. Let's talk about that Wilder project. You've had some fun guests on that series so far, including Jenny, who we talked about. You've also mm-hmm. had Pat McAfee on the show. He's become a huge media star and a podcast mm-hmm. star over the past few years. And of course, PFT and Big Cat from Barstool Sports, yeah. which is the number one <laughs> sports podcast in the world. Was that a fun show? How have you enjoyed oh, doing that? That was awesome. I mean, those two guys are two of my really good friends in the industry. Um, they, for years now, have been so supportive and helpful. Um, you know, both in behind the scenes in ways that people don't see. Um, and so to to get to work with them, to get to have them on my show was like a really cool moment. Um, and we just had a blast, you know, like it was it was just like hanging out with them normally, um, except we were on camera, which I loved. And, you know, they're so smart and funny that we were just, it was like playing verbal ping pong. They're so I just, quick. I just loved it. They're so yeah. quick. Their, their banner is unbelievable. They're one of a handful of podcasts that like I'm addicted to listening to all the time. I have like a love hate relationship when it comes to Barstool sports content as a whole. But like part of my take, that's just one show that like every, I listen all three times a week, every time it's out there. What is the Wilder yeah. project got planned for the future? What do you got planned? We have some really cool stuff. Um, I'm not going to talk about it too much in depth yet. Cause we haven't really announced all of it, but okay. we're changing some things up this season. We have some really cool things we've already been working on. And, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm so proud of this and, and what, what we're building. So everyone should tune, should tune in. It comes back in March. I'm, uh, I'm like, this is one of the things that I'm proudest of, I think so far. And I, I can't wait to see how it all comes together. And I, and I hope it's well received. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it as well. Now you were in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. We're going to start to wind down here. What was one or two of the coolest moments or things that you saw all week? Because I'm sure. How many Super Bowls have you covered, by the way? This is my third. Your third? What was the experience like for you? 
man, it's like being in a blender for 10 days. It's so fun. It's so cool. Um, but you know, we, we, I think we had three video shoots, eight interviews. I wrote three stories, did a few radio hits. Uh, and then every night there are these parties and SI had a party, which was awesome. That was one of the coolest. That was one of the, I mean, obviously for me, the coolest moment was the Pats winning, but, um, we had it. There was an SI party where, you know, I got to be like on stage with Lil Wayne and Snoop Dogg. And I was just like, this is, this is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I was at a club one night and like a little hanging out with Lil John. I mean, the whole thing was very surreal. It was like taking acid and walking into sports Twitter <laughs> with like celebrities. Um, but it's a lot. It's it's definitely this week has been like a real sort of come down from it with, you know, the work we have to do um, with all the stuff we came back with and and just sort of like you're you're so stimulated. And then you go back to your real life and you're like, oh, wait, what even is my routine? Like, I don't even know what my routine is. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to end the same way I always do when I have a sports media guest. I got a little mini lighting round. Just going to ask you a handful of random questions. No real deep thought required. Whatever the first answer is you could think of, that'll be your answer. You cool with that? Love it. All right, let's go. Favorite athlete that you've covered? Oh, um, Chris Long. Favorite non-sports related activity to do? Non-sports related activity. This is how much of a life I have, Patrick. I'm like, uh, besides working <laughs> and like going for runs, but uh, does hanging out with my friends count? Yeah, that counts. That works. Yeah. All right. Favorite city to visit? Man. Well, it used to be New York, but I've lived here for a few years now. So maybe Boston because it's going home. Okay. Although I really like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I love cities. We have a joke on the podcast. I like every city we go to. I'm like, I love it here. <laughs> um, Miami. I would love to go back to Miami. Favorite TV show? I mean, you probably don't get to watch too many of them, but when you get a chance to, what's, what's your favorite TV Great show? Great British Baking Show. Okay. Do you have a favorite sports movie? The Big Green. If you had never got involved in journalism in any capacity, or if you did and what you're doing now, it just never seemed to work out for you. What do you think you may have went on to do with your life? I would have tried to be a painter. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I was a, it was between studio art and, uh, and writing okay. for a lot of my life. Third last question here. Who's the toughest athlete that you've ever had to deal with? Now, I'm not saying the biggest jerk, the person that you like the least, just somebody who might have made your job tough. It was tough to go chasing them around to get the quotes you needed. You know, you're trying to do a story. Is there an athlete out there that you've really had a tough time working with? Um, no, I don't think so. You're lucky. Sorry then. to well, I mean, You're likable. Well, you know what? It's an unfair Thanks. question. You're likable, so no one's going to give you Thanks, a hard man. time. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Second last question here. If Twitter were to send you a note and say, hey, Charlotte, new policy here. You're only allowed to follow one person or one handle on Twitter. One only. That's it. Who would it be? Definitely Gritty. Okay. Last question here. Three dinner guests, any era, dead or alive, any era, who would you have? So I would have my grandfather, my dad's dad, who died when I was very young. This is sort of a boring answer, but this is just, you know, how I just keep it real about it. Um, And then my mom's dad, who died when I was seven. So I would love to sort of know them as people because, you know, I think that a lot of people have said I have a lot in common with both of them. But unfortunately, I didn't really get to know them as an adult. And then the third person I would bring along. I mean, that would be kind of a funny dinner already. Um, 
Probably maybe oh man, this is really tough. <laughs> I asked the tough questions there. These are hard. I know, hitting. no, hard I hitting. like it. I like it. But now it's funny. I'm thinking like who would get along with both of my grandfathers who were pretty different? Um oh my goodness, why is this so tough? Catherine the Great. Catherine the Great. Yeah, from Russia, from from the what 1700s, 1600s, 1700s? Yeah, I'd be like, here's this boss lady who is probably terrible, but I'm fascinated by and then my two <laughs> grandmothers. <laughs> All right, man. Good stuff. Everyone give Charlotte a follow on Twitter if you haven't already at the Wilder Things. Of course, be sure to check out all of her work at SI.com. Thanks a lot, Charlotte. I know you're really busy coming off of an extremely Super Bowl busy week. It was great to get you have on this show, get to know you a little yeah. bit. I'm sure fans are gonna enjoy it. Oh, thanks so much, Patrick. I've I've loved it. Take care. It's great to great to chat with you. That was Charlotte Wilder from Sports Illustrated. I'll get to my chat with Aaron Quinn from CoverOne.net in just a couple minutes. Before that, though, I spent Sunday night, all of my Sunday night, about three and a half hours, maybe a little bit more than that the show ran, watching the entire Grammys from start to finish. Kind of ironic because I probably spent more time watching the Grammys on Sunday night than I've spent over the past year and a half actually listening to most of the music of these nominees and winners. But whatever, I did watch it. I do have some thoughts, completely unsolicited thoughts, of course. You didn't ask for them, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. This is my podcast. That's what I do. Before I do that, though, you know what? Throw on some of that Grammy's entrance theme music. Some of that music that you hear throughout the show. I need something pretty cool to talk over. That'll kind of get me going. Do that up. So anyway, here's a couple thoughts. First of all, Cardi B wins best rap album of the year. First female ever to do so. Might be an unpopular opinion here. I don't know, but not a fan. I think she's pretty whack, to be honest with you, to me. She's a blend of Nicki Minaj and Lady Gaga, just far, far less talented than them. Just don't like her. I don't think she's that good. Can't stand when she talks. Those political rants she's had on social media lately. <laughs> Oof. Anyway, her speech was a disaster. I mean, hey, props on being the first female to win Rap Album of the Year. She's going to go down in history for that. I'm just not a fan. I am a fan of Dolly Parton. 73 years old, she's still incredible. You could argue that she may have stolen the show. That medley she did, Miley Cyrus, Katy Perry, a couple others, that was fantastic. I just, I can't believe that at 73 years old, she still gets down like that. And speaking of getting down like that, Alicia Keys, great job as a host. Actually, so-so as a host. But what a performer she is. That medley she did was incredible. The songs that she had wished that she had written and playing two pianos, one on each hand. That was just ridiculous. Internet meme sensation right away. I'll sign up for having her as a host every year or at least performing one or the other. I, I need Alicia Keys in my life every year. By the way, did not know that she was married to Swiss Beats. That's on me. I should have known that. What else I got here? What other thoughts? Oh, yeah. No. Probably is going to be an unpopular opinion. Really don't give a shit. That song, fucking uh, 
Tequila by Dan and Shay. That song sucks. Hate that song. Hate when people play it at the bar. Hate when people sing along to it. It's a terrible freaking song. Can't stand it. Haven't seen them perform that live. It was an absolute insufferable four minutes of my life that I'll never get back. That song sucks. And what else I got here? Diana Ross. Love Diana Ross. Mad respect for her. She's the queen of Motown. I'm going to give her a curve. I mean, she's performing on that stage at 75 years old, but that performance was a little bit rough. Surprised they didn't have any duets out there. Somebody to maybe take a little bit of the burden of performing off her. Uh, What else I got here? Oh, yeah. Lady Gaga. Love me some Lady Gaga. One of maybe the best singer in the business today, but her performance of Shallow at the Grammys on Sunday... Too over the top, man. That's a song that's beautiful because of its simplicity and its passion. She sounded and looked manic, way overdone, completely unnecessary. I know Bradley Cooper couldn't be there. He was in the UK with some work. That kind of sucked. Still would have enjoyed the performance if it would have been just a little bit less manic. Way too much, Lady Gaga. Way too much. Also got to give props to Childish Gambino for winning Song of the Year and Record of the Year for This Is America. Like that song. Love that video. Unlike Cardi B, I like Childish Gambino. No problem with him winning. Absolutely well-deserved. Uh, Her. Never. This is embarrassing and this probably destroys any credibility that any of these takes had. But I had never heard of her until last night or till Sunday night at the Grammys I became a fan she's incredible loved her and last but not least the MVP of the Grammys best performance by a mile was Brandi Carlisle with the joke oh my god holy shit I'm gonna be completely honest with you I didn't know shit about her or about her music before the Grammys that performance fucking sensational she reeled me in I am a huge fan now Cannot wait to start listening to more of her music. All in all, I thought it was a decent show. A little bit underwhelming. No major surprises. That kind of sucked. No lifetime Grammy Achievement Award winner with a nice speech. That kind of sucked. Jennifer Lopez, 50 years old. She could still dance her ass off. That was pretty cool. I thought the Aretha Franklin tribute was really cool. If I had to give it a grade, probably would say B-. minus. Yeah, B- minus would be my grade. Now, hopefully this next segment here won't be a B minus. Here's my chat with Aaron Quinn from CoverOne.net. You done messed up, Aaron! Okay, I am now joined by Aaron Quinn from CoverOne.net. Aaron! going on buddy how you doing what is happening my man yo so most of our listeners are in buffalo at least a large portion of them the western new york area but not everybody is dude the weather there and i'm I'm in florida now i've spent most of my life as most people know in buffalo now i live in florida but like just over these last 10 days you guys have run like the gauntlet of weather just from what i'm seeing and reading you had last friday like a near blizzard yeah. And then three days later, it's like 60 degrees. Two days later, I'm seeing pictures on Facebook of a big ice storm. I'm seeing literally cars sliding off the road. 
And then like two days after that, it's like a windstorm. Like, yeah, 60 mile an hour winds. Yeah, what's going on, man? It's crazy. I have no idea. I can't keep up. I don't even watch the weather anymore. I just kind of take it as it comes. But my wife was saying one night I let the dog out and I had this like nostalgic feeling of spring nights. And I told her and she's like, oh, yeah, it's like almost 60 degrees at night. And the day before it was in the 30s. And then when she woke up to go to work the next morning, it was like 27. So it went from like 60 at night to 27 in like a seven, eight hour window, which is just mind blowing to me that weather can do that it's kind of interesting because i was having a little bit of a talk on twitter today uh this weekend the american alliance football or the alliance of american football kicked off and they announced that there might be more teams that they're looking to join and obviously the people in buffalo were clamoring let's get a, a team in buffalo and i was like are you guys crazy did you just see the last week of weather you think they're gonna play football in february up here in buffalo outdoors anywhere i, I can't see it no way man i mean it's a tough enough sell to get people to go to the ralph or i always say the ralph and i always will say the ralph by the way it's tough enough to get people to go to new era field in december right now unless the bills are contending you know for a playoff spot it, it, that's a tough sell trying to get people to come watch minor league football in February and Buffalo. Whew. I don't care in any condition like that. that. That's almost, that's an impossibility. I think we're going to talk about the Alliance in a little bit for that though. Let's start here. Okay. Today, Benjamin Albright, he's been on this show a couple times, like the guy a lot. I respect him. He's a credible guy. Okay. He doesn't just tweet bullshit. Although, man, you know what? Maybe he does. <laughs> don't we all? A yeah, bit? we all tweet a little bit of bullshit. <laughs> he knows how to engage fans. Let's put it that way, but he's a credible dude. He tweeted out on Monday that he heard that Buffalo and Chicago were two teams that were, and I'm quoting here, considering sniffing around on running back Kareem Hunt. Of course, he, you know, he got cut after the hotel incident. He got cut. We all know what happened. Well, anyway, Monday, Cleveland ended up signing him to a one-year deal. First of all, what's your take on that itself, that the Cleveland Browns signed Kareem Hunt? Yeah, so a lot of stuff with this. I think it makes find sense for the Browns. It's a one year deal was like up to $1 million. So more than league minimum. Basically, I think it's saying like, look, if you're not suspended for 10 games, we're going to give you a chance to be back in this league. If you can stay out of trouble. And if you don't, then we don't really lose anything by just holding on to your rights for a year. So for Cleveland, I don't know. It doesn't make, uh, it's not like a terrible decision. They have Chubb and Duke Johnson. Uh, my co-host Greg Thompson and uh, Eric Turner both tweeted out things about Duke Johnson, who if Hunt is able to play a little earlier and Duke Johnson becomes expendable, I think that's a guy the Bills should be looking at. But they have a fine backfield whether or not Hunt can play. And then if Hunt can come in, then they maybe have a trade asset in Duke Johnson. So it works out for that. Yeah, you know, from a football aspect, I don't want to talk about the personal aspect because we all know and we all have our opinions on that. But even just from a football aspect, are you surprised that it was Cleveland? We knew he was going to get a chance as long as, you know, the league didn't throw him out or he's not in jail. Somebody's going to give him a chance. Are you just a yeah. little bit surprised that it's Cleveland considering that they do have Nick Chubb, who I like a lot, and Duke Johnson? Well, Dor was Dorsey must have been part of the administration that uh, the front office that in drafted Kansas City yep. in Kansas City. So you have that tie there. So I can see that Duke Johnson's had some injury history. So that might be a little bit of a um, alarm to 
Cleveland fans that they're looking to improve that room. Uh, maybe they're worried about his injury history. And Chubb is there. He's a lockdown guy. But in the NFL these days, man, you know it just as well as anybody. Every team's looking for two to three guys to bring into the season and running back by committee. I think there's maybe four guys, five guys in the league that can be premier running backs anymore. Other than that, everybody's splitting carries. The best teams are doing it. Uh, so I, I think everybody's looking for that type of depth. And to get the guy at $1 million for a guy that's, you know, regardless of what he's done off the field, he's produced on the field. And to get a guy that caliber that you know has produced in the NFL, it's hard to get at that price. So I can I can see why they did what they did. Let me get back to Benjamin Albright, because the reason why I was asking you this to begin with, if he's right about Buffalo, and I'm going to assume that he is, that, you know, the Bills even just sniffing around, that's kind of interesting to me because it goes back to what I've been pretty much telling anyone who will listen, and that's that, in my opinion anyway, despite everything that Brandon Bean has said regarding LaShawn McCoy, you know, being a part of the 2019 Buffalo Bills, and that they don't have any salary cap restrictions or need to cut LaShawn McCoy, I still don't feel like this guy's spot on the roster for 2019 is secure right now. I just don't. Do you disagree with me? Do you think it is? I do think it is, and I think if they would have got Hunt, uh, I don't think that their interest what m- maybe was as significant as people thought by Albright saying that. I think sniffing around is just could even be picking up the phone and calling his agent and just kind of getting a feel. And then that information gets Albright. Albright later said that a dozen teams uh, were sniffing around later on. So I think everybody was kind of calling with interest. I think what's interesting to note is that the Bills are looking to improve that room, whether it has Shady McCoy as part of that in the future or not. But I think uh, Chris Ivory is much more likely to be the guy not back with the team next year. I think they do run with Shady as the number one back for one more season. Uh, I think they're going to draft a guy, whether it's in round three to seven. I don't know where they draft him. And then I think you, you're Rob Fords or you're Keith Fords. I mean, not Rob Ford. He's like the mayor of Canada or something. But <laughs> Uh, Keith Ford's another undrafted free agent. I think they're looking to improve that room in any way possible. But to your point, Shady, I think is here to stay. Um, but you never know with Brandon Bean, man. We'll see. I I agree with you 100% on Chris Ivory. I think, put it this way, I think for LaShawn McCoy to be on the Buffalo Bills, he has to be the starter. If they go out and they sign someone significantly in free agent, or if they draft somebody high enough that might win that job as a rookie, then I think he's in trouble. I don't know. I'm just, I'm not, I don't know what it is. It's just, you know, sometimes you get that feeling in your gut. Maybe you can't explain it or no one believes you, but you just feel it. I feel that way about LaShawn McCoy. I'm just not sold that he's going to be here this year. I'm just not sold on it. Yeah, I don't think it's a terribly hot take that if if it happened, I would be totally stunned. And if it happens the way you said it, where they drafted a running back that, you know, just the perfect fit fell to him and say round three and the guy comes in and wins the job and Coy's on the outside looking in. I'm totally happy with that because that means that they drafted well. Yeah. Listen, I mean, you said it perfect with Cleveland when they already have Duke Johnson and Chubb, but still signed Kareem Hunt. You can never have too many good running backs. A lot of teams these days have at least two good Running backs, look at the Saints for the last couple of years with Ingram and Kamara. So eh, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, look at New England. New England's had two to three good running backs for for who knows how long, and they just ship them off to other places when their contracts run out. Yeah, I don't know. Just a gut feeling. Let's talk about mock drafts for a minute, okay? Because a new batch of them came out on Monday. I, I love mock drafts. They're fun. Let me preface this by saying I put zero stock in them, especially in February. 
I think it's kind of ridiculous to project players going somewhere when free agency hasn't started yet. The Bills don't even know who they might release over the next couple of weeks, let alone who they might sign. So to project them taking someone right now is kind of ridiculous, but it does make for a fun exercise and nice water cooler debate at this point of the game anyway. Mm, yeah. Anyway, and so, a lot of clicks. And a lot of clicks. You're right. And a lot of listens right now. You yeah. know what's funny? Kind of on, on point here. Last year, my podcast is, I've had this for about a year. The, the biggest podcast ratings I've had to date are right before the draft to this day. Oh, yeah. You know, people want to hear about the draft. So I get that. Anyway, moving on. NFL.com chat rotors. Has the Bills taken Jawan Taylor, offensive tackle? He's a junior from Florida. I have that interesting because I looked at his mock specifically, and Greedy Williams, the corner, was still on the board. And more interesting, Jonah Williams was also on the board, who I thought anyway most people regarded as the top tackle. So he had Jawan Taylor going ahead of Williams. Have you heard rumblings about Jawan Taylor maybe being the first offensive line or offensive tackle taken in this draft, even ahead of Jonah Williams? I haven't heard anything about that to this point. Yeah, I you know he has been rising uh, and with a lot of people's boards, and Jonah has Jonah uh, has been falling a little bit, and I think it's the size is scaring everybody from him and questioning whether or not he has to slide inside and play guard. We've heard a lot about that, but I think that is the kind of thing that happens a little bit this time of year. I think you you have agents that are putting bugs in some of these guys that work at the bigger networks' ears uh, of saying where they're going to get picked. A lot of this is positioning uh, by the agents by, you know, with teams and stuff like that. It's it's a very deceptive time of year. I think Taylor is a good pick. I don't know if I love him at nine for, for me personally. I really like Greedy Williams. I, I, I know fans would probably lose their minds if they took a cornerback in the ninth pick, but I do like him a lot. I think it's going to be interesting to see, but I agree with you, man. These mocks this time of year, it's really hard to put any solid consensus together uh, for any of these guys. And what's even worse is the mocks with trades in February. That yeah. blows my mind that it's, it's earlier and earlier every year. These guys are coming up with mocks with trades. So I think it, it makes sense in the sense that it fills a need uh, for them. So at least it's not one of those mocks that you see that just seems totally way off base. Like I saw one of uh, Hollywood Brown at nine and that doesn't make any sense to me. I uh, tweeted out with the vomit emoji because I think he'll be there later if you want him. I, I don't think you got to reach at nine. So I don't think it's a total reach for Taylor at nine. I just don't know if I love it there. And by the way, that NFL.com mock, that's not the only one who has Juwan Taylor going to Buffalo. Tom McShay and his latest mock has that. And so does Will Brinson in CBS Sports. I looked at that as well. In fact, but on his, he has Jonah Williams going five to Tampa. But that's interesting to me anyway, that that's three pretty big uh, it is, mock yeah. drafters out there that all have him. Or about, I don't know, maybe two, three weeks ago, if we would have had this conversation, I didn't see anyone talking Jawan Taylor. I mean, he has a natural makes, right tackle. So, I, yeah. I mean, theoretically, it makes sense if you're, you know, if your intention is to leave Deion Dawkins at left tackle, which I'm not sure that we know that at this point. Right. Yeah, no, I think it makes total sense on paper, right? We still got to see these guys go through the combine and pro days and meetings and a lot of stuff will shift from there. But on paper, it makes a lot of sense on our podcast. Uh, we've been warning people that it might take two seasons to fix the entire offensive line. And I think they're going to try to address center 
in free agency and then maybe a guard. And if they can then pull a top pick in the draft, that's three out of the five positions that you've addressed uh, right away in the draft. And then you kind of hope that Dawkins bounces back to the season he had his rookie year. And then you're in really good position. You might only have one kind of major hole still left on that line. That's a lot better, I think, than I expect them to be able to fix this line in one offseason. So like I said, on paper, it makes sense and it would go a long way to helping them uh, jumpstart fixing that line. One more Bills topic here. A lot of what they might do at wide receiver, I think, depends on what they ultimately do with Zay Jones. You know, whether they make him a slot guy or an outside guy. Let me ask you this first. And and it's early and I'm sure it's hard to know it at this point, but projecting it, do you think Zay Jones will project better being an outside receiver going forward? Or do you think they'll move him inside to the slot and go out and try to get an outside guy? Well, I think some of those positions a little bit are not set in stone anymore. I think the guys move around so much. I think ideally they want him in the slot moving around a little bit um, and also being able to move around a little bit in the blocking and, you know, in the run game. He's a good blocker. So I think that his production is going to come from the slot. He's not the shifty small, fast slot guy that you think of. And I think that they kind of need that. But you got Robert Foster, who's got speed, and Isaiah McKenzie, who's got some speed. So I don't know if any of those guys can knock him out at slot. I think right now, uh, going into 2019, he's going to be your best option and give you the most production at the slot. I feel like when it comes to free agent wide receivers, and there's no lock that the Bills are going to sign anyone in free agency at wide receiver. But hypothetically, if they were, Tyrell Williams is probably the best option as an outside receiver. Well, if you're looking yeah. to move Zay Jones to the outside, Adam Humphreys is a guy that I like personally. I watch, I live in near Tampa Bay, so I got to watch a lot of Buccaneers games this past year. He's a good slot guy. I really like him a lot. But again, if you're like you laid it out, if the plan is to play Zay Jones in the slot more, then a guy like Adam Humphreys is probably going to be a poor fit on the Bills. Sure, but I think what they're really trying to do here, and they've talked, uh, both Bean and McDermott have talked about it, which is they are trying to get as much competition at each position as they can. And when you look at the free agent wide receivers, I think that some team is going to be able to get a really good value deal on Humphreys. And if the Bills can be the team that gets that deal, then I think that's a good problem to have and let it sort itself out in training camp. And they're not married to Zay Jones, right? He's on rookie contract, which is a nice contract control, but they don't owe him a spot as a starting wide receiver on this team so if they can improve that with a guy like Humphreys and push him back that's fine by me and I think that he's going to have a nice friendly deal and be a really good value for some team I hope it's not a team like the New England Patriots I, I, I hope I, it's you a beat team. me to it you literally beat me to it as soon as you said great value slot guy white guy I'm like oh man, yeah he's got New England Patriots written all, all, over, oh, all yeah. over by the way before we move on did you see that picture on Twitter on Monday uh DK Metcalf that wide receiver did you see him? I did. Holy I did. shit, I, dude. He don't look like no wide receiver, man. I, I In our uh, premium Slack channel, I, I uh, said he looks like David Boston 2.0. I don't know if you remember when David yeah. Boston got just total ripped up. Uh, that picture reminded me of that. I don't know how misleading the picture is. And I tweeted that out today uh, just saying that angles it's not the best picture in the world he just got done working out i've never worked out personally but i've heard that after you're done working uh-huh. out you rumors get rumors yeah <laughs> um he's a monster so, yeah, but he looks big man and i'll tell you i don't know if that's a good thing for the kid i think that team if he is as big as he looks in that picture when teams meet with him they're gonna ask him to slim down a little bit i think because it's got to be hard to play wide receiver with that kind of muscle mass yeah i agree 
All right, let's do the Moranalytics interest meter. Same format. I'm going to hit a topic off. You're going to give me a score, what you rate it between zero and 10 and what your level of interest is. Maybe add a take or two afterwards. All right, you good? Sounds great. AAF premiered this past weekend. Decent ratings. They actually beat the NBA in prime time. What are your, first of all, what's your score? What's your interest level? And what are your thoughts? 9.7. Oh, really? Interest level. I was very excited this weekend to check out the product. Uh, I've thought for a long time that the NFL needs another, not competition, but another product for the fans to consume. And they, they've delivered that have some issues with the league that I'd like to see get resolved. But overall, I was happy with the week one. I actually, I watched one game. The only game I could, I couldn't even tell you who half the other teams are, but I did watch the Orlando Atlanta game on Saturday night. I was home. I turned it on. Orlando's about 90 minutes away. I said, eh, you know what? I'll root for him. Why not? I was pretty entertained. I'll admit that. But here's my question to you before we move to the next topic. Sure. Week one ratings were great. Week two, maybe week three will probably be good as well. But do you think that this is the kind of thing that could sustain decent ratings? Because again, it did beat the NBA. I can't remember what teams it were, but I think it was Oklahoma City and Houston might have been playing on Saturday night. Sure. But yeah, and they had a higher ratings. But do you think that this is something that could be sustained over time? Or do you think this was like a curiosity? Let's go check this out for a week and move on with the rest of our lives after. Yeah, so I think it only beat the NBA out of peaked interest in the league. You just finished up the Super Bowl, so there's still interest in football. They rolled it out at a great time. Unfortunately, I don't think that this is going to be a league for the casual fan. It's going to be a league for the diehard draft Twitter guys, guys that followed guys that didn't quite make the league that want to see how they do. And that's okay. I think that's a nice little niche market that they're going to carve out and they'll have just enough support to keep going. I don't think anyone involved thinks they're going to compete with the NFL. I think they just need to be sustaining a sustaining league. And so I think that that's their plan. I don't expect to see ratings beating the NBA week in and week out. I think that was just kind of an anomaly this this past week. Uh, I don't think it says anything about the sport long term going forward. All right. Next topic. 2018 Oklahoma Heisman Trophy winner Kyler Murray announces that he's fully committing his life to become an NFL quarterback, not going to play baseball for Oakland, entering the NFL draft. Yeah, uh, 8.2 interest, uh, mostly because I think that the Bills might have better shot to trade back the more qualified quarterbacks that are in the draft. Very good point there. Next topic, Anthony Davis stays in New Orleans past the NBA trade deadline. Will be a Pelican until at least the summer. 4.5 because my interest was so high when I thought that he was had the possibility of getting traded and I want to see a blockbuster move. And for it to not happen kind of pissed me off. Do you think the Lakers are going to make the playoffs this year? They're two and a half back as we tape this Monday night. I think I think eventually, yes, they will be a low tier playoff team. And at the end of the season next year, they're going to get Anthony Davis and probably a Clay Thompson or something like that. And LeBron will look like a great GM again. Uh, but screw those guys. I don't like those. guys. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, if they do make the playoffs, it is probably going to be as an eight. Then yeah, you're looking at Golden State right in the first round. Well, in playoff Rondo, man, that's a whole nother beast. You got playoff Rondo. So who knows? That, that's the eight seed I wouldn't want to play. That's true. All right. Next topic here. It, it appears at least a handful of teams in the NBA are in full take mode for Zion Williamson at this point. Got the Cavs, the Bulls, the Suns, and of course the Knicks. Not trying for Zion, as I think Bill Simmons labels it. What do you think? 
I let's eight and a half there. I'm a Bulls fan, so they've got to do something to rate the ship. And if it's getting, I don't think he's a fit for the Bulls, so I'm not sure this is the best year for them to tank. But the kid's a fantastic athlete. He's an anomaly of a human being, and uh, I think some teams going to be very happy with him. But you know, the NBA draft is so hit or miss with these college kids. I mean, we've seen so many freak athletes bust out. Next topic. I saw on Twitter, you went to the Sabres game Saturday, took your kids to the game. Yeah. Fun? I, it was a blast. Are you asking for the scale on the, the rating of the game? Yeah. Did you have a good oh, time? What was, what was your overall experience like? I, yeah, 10. Just bringing my son. Everybody was so nice. All the workers, you know, asking, is this his first game? You know, how's he enjoying the game? Everybody around was so nice. Uh, we were a lucky charm. The Sabres got a win. A few goals scored. He had a fantastic day. And and it's just a great family experience. I'm nervous to bring my son to Bill's games until he's a teenager. You don't have that with the Sabres. It's right. such a family atmosphere. Uh, and it's just it's one of the better values in the city of something to do on a cold Saturday afternoon. And gosh, if they get good, man, I mean, they're not even good. And that place was rocking all day Saturday. I can't imagine if they're in the hunt uh, late into the year sometime. I can't wait to see what the city's like then. Have you been to a lot of the games or no? You yourself? Uh, you know, I've been to maybe four or five since we lived here. Uh, every year now that my son's born, he's born in February. So uh, we have a friend with season tickets and he gives us tickets uh, for his birthday every year. It's kind of a tradition. I, I bring him to the game for his birthday every year. And uh, all since we got back from the game, he's got a little hockey net and sticks. All we've been playing in the kitchen is hockey. Uh, so I think he's got that Buffalo hockey bug, unfortunately, for my pocketbook. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be unfortunate for your pocketbook. Trust, <laughs> trust me on that, man. All right. Second, last topic here. Bill Mickelson wins the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Oh, 7.2. I love Phil. I think he's so underrated as a golfer. I know he turns a lot of people off, but he's had a phenomenal career. Well, the U.S. Open's at Pebble Beach this summer, by the way. Phil should be in the hunt there, be looking for his sixth major. He, He plays well on that course. I think he's won like five or six times on that course, though. I don't know. Maybe you know why he doesn't get the credit that some of these other guys that have come and gone uh, throughout his career get. I mean, I know Tiger has been the greatest throughout his run, but who else is there besides Phil with the consistency and longevity that he's had? Yeah, you know, it's just one of those deals. Wrong place, wrong time. In another era, he would have been the man, but he he was yeah. uh, he's been great during the Tiger era. You know what I mean? Everyone takes a backseat to him for that. Yeah, he's like the Reggie Miller of the Jordan yeah. era, I suppose. Perfect comparison right there. Yep. All right, last topic here. Usually I don't talk wrestling with you, but AEW is trying to be that company that could finally give WWE a run for its money, something no one's been able to do since back in the Monday Night War days with WCW. It landed a guy that is well-reported. WWE was really trying to sign badly. I'm talking about Kenny Omega. Yeah, 10. Super interested. I... Low-key, absolutely love wrestling, and I've banned myself from watching the WWE after last WrestleMania, just blue, in my opinion. I thought it was a terrible, I think Vince McMahon is uh, just a terrible at building careers at what I want to see out of wrestling. I don't think he gives it to me. He doesn't care what the fans want, and I know that he is steaming right now that another promotion in the U.S. took the biggest free agent stars, two of the biggest free agent stars in Jericho and Kenny Omega are now with a promotion within the United States. And that has just got to be a thorn in his side. And I love 
that. And I hope that this is real competition for the WWE because I think they've gotten too lax and they need some competition to make their product better. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I kind of, we talked earlier about the AAF in terms of sustainability. You know what I mean? Like people got great ratings the first week, but can they sustain it? I kind of feel like it's going to be like that with AEW too. I think they're going to do very well at first. Now the difference between uh, AEW and AAF is that, you know, these are a bunch of minor league football players trying to get to that top spot. Whereas in AEW, they got guys like Kenny Omega who the WWE wanted badly. You know, Chris Jericho, Cody Rhodes is a, a name. The Young Bucks have been, it's been widely reported. WWE has been after them. Point being is I think this first year with AEW is going to be so interesting because some of the contracts as they start to expire from WWE, it's not a given anymore that they're going to re-up on these contracts. No, Dean Ambrose. Yeah, Dean Ambrose might very well be in AEW. AJ Styles might be there at some point. There's a, a Rusev. Who knows? There's a bunch of guys who could end up there. So I think for at least that first year, it's going to be incredibly interesting. But then it comes down to, again, a question of can they sustain for the long term and not just be a quick six-month to 12-month competition for WWE? Because I want something legit, just like you said. Yeah, I think they're building it the right way. And I think that the fans are clamoring for this. If you go online, it's really going to be if the fans show up in the arenas, right? Like online fans are one thing, but it's putting seats in butts. And if they can do that, because we know that the WWE struggled to sell out all their arenas. We see it online where they kind of fudge how it looks on TV, but behind the camera, it's not a sold out arena. So if they can come in and really pack arenas, it's going to be a big thing. And I, I have this kind of like your gut feeling with LaShawn McCoy. I have this gut feeling that Punk is coming back and it's going to be with all of his boys. And if that happens, game changer. Oh, man, dude, they are. They're going to have to turn people away in every city. All right, everyone. Follow Aaron Quinn on Twitter at Aaron Quinn 716. Of course, check out all their work at CoverOne.net. You can become a premium content subscriber there. Great value. Thanks as always, Aaron. Talk to you again soon, my man. This was fun. Thanks for having me on, man. Always fun to be with you, man. All right. That will do it for this episode. Big thank you one more time. Charlotte Wilder from Sports Illustrated. Just such a big fan of hers. Her writing, her podcasting, her video content. She's just supremely talented. She does it all funny, witty, charming, just a great person, a huge get for this show. Very grateful. So thanks again, Charlotte. Got to give props to my guy, Aaron Quinn from CoverOne.net as well. He's become a recurring guest on my Tuesday shows. Love talking football, baseball, basketball, all kinds of stuff with him. Really nice variety. Thanks again, Aaron. Coming up on Friday's show, I'll have NFL insider Adam Kaplan on. Talk Bills, NFL, see if I could get any scoopage out of him. Guys, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It's quick, it's easy, it's completely free. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone or to your computer within minutes of being released. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, just simply whip it out, open up that purple Apple podcast app, type in Moranalytics podcast under search, hit the subscribe button, bam, literally, that is it. Bonus points awarded for five-star ratings. 
If iPhones or iPads are not your thing, or if you prefer to get your podcast elsewhere, you can hit us up on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at PadMoranTweets. Have a nice, safe rest of the week. Enjoy. Talk to you guys again on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.